Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, presented by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we catch up each month with current stars, rising stars, and legends from the past from USA Water Ski and Wake Sports and its nine sport discipline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back, everyone, to the Hit It podcast. I am super excited to bring you a first here on the podcast. And that first is, I had the opportunity to sit down with a former professional football player to talk about water skiing. That's right, David Akers joined me in the virtual studio to talk about his 16th season NFL career, playing for teams such as the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, Washington Redskins, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers, and the Detroit Lions. This episode allowed us to unpack slalom skiing from a different perspective. We talk about the relationship between football and water skiing and how kicking relates to slalom skiing. David has an incredible kicking resume in the NFL with a field goal percentage over 80% on his career with a career long of 63 yards at Lambeau Field. We also discuss how his success on the field is bringing him success on the water. It is truly inspiring to hear David's passion and competitive drive for the sport of water skiing. So sit back and relax and enjoy this interview with David Akers. Well, welcome back to the Hit It Podcast. I am super stoked to be back in the virtual studio with you with this guest here today, former professional football player, David Akers. And David, you're also an avid water skier, so this is going to be super, super fun. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, guys. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's my uh, my next chapter as far as sports goes after retiring from the NFL. Sounds good. Well, this is going to be a super fun episode because we're going to take a look at the relationship between football and water skiing and what that relationship means with the athletic and mental aspects. And specifically, we're going to be looking at slalom skiing. You know, in slalom, we only get one chance. We show up to the lake for a tournament. There might be one round in a regionals or nationals. Just like, uh, I guess, a field goal kick to win the game, there's only one chance. And so there's going to be so much to unpack here. But first, I wanted to learn a little bit about your background of how you came into water skiing. Okay. So as a kid, we would go to a lake called Laurel Lake in Kentucky. And we just, we had a 22 foot little cutty cabin, knee board, scurf, be in the water. But I had never done the course really other than driving through one that was on this lake. Now, Kyle Jones, I believe, still skis at Laurel Lake. And we used to watch, you know, those guys ski. And I used to watch it on ESPN as a kid, but I never had any sort of opportunity to learn anything about it. I, I didn't know what 15 off on it on my boat was. We had one ski for the family. Everybody rode the same thing. And that was kind of it. But, you know, still loved the water. And I was always been a water rat in general. When I retired, moved to Tennessee, we started kind of doing a little bit more of a family like weight surfing and all that. And we had a lake house. And so my son was playing lacrosse. He had a kid on that team that he was friends with and his uncle lived on the lake. They came by, met us one night. Guy's name's Griff Irby. He said, hey, we ski on the weekends. Would you like to go out? I was like, bro, I, I haven't 
skied in years, let alone own a ski. It had been 26 years since I had been on a ski. And so we went out the next day. It happened to be Father's Day 17 years ago. Wow. And um, I fell in love with it. We, we were free skiing at the moment, you know, kind of getting things in. But then they, they had a course, started trying to teach me the course. And that was a disaster uh, because everything I know, and I know we'll dive into this a little bit further, but everything I know athletically, where your athletic power comes from, stance, and uh, all that where your base should be is a little bit different than than what it is in football and soccer, golf and all that. It's uh, on a mono ski where your feet are fixed in front of each other. It's a different balance point. Wow, that's an incredible story. And that's so interesting that it kind of came back around as maybe just a family sport of going to the lake. And now you're competitively skiing in tournaments. It's just an incredible journey. So with that context, let's talk about your football background. Okay. Um, you know, football is one of those things where you, you grow up, you say, oh, I'm going to play this position or that position, but kicking is so specific to a football player. What led you to be a kicker? I don't know if I'm picking the proper places to uh, to put my athleticism or lack thereof. If, you know, football at 5'9 and 151 pounds soaking wet my freshman year at the University of Louisville was probably not the best decision as far as avenues to go as far as stature most people tell me when they get to know me like you don't really kind of have the mentality of an old school I guess kicker mentality where when it was more of a, um, a soccer guy that came in but it was more like a European guy that would say okay I the old adage of I kick touchdown pick up check you know as a professional kicker that's not really my my mindset uh I think I'm tied for fourth in tackles as far as amongst kickers in the NFL. And my mindset was always like, I wanted to play the game, right? But I was just not big enough really to play. And so I was a fast guy, played soccer, um, was messing around one day with some guys at the local at our high school, just kind of local guys kind of getting together for a pickup game. One of the guys said, ah, oh, let's try a field goal. I said, I put the ball down. I hit a 45-yarder, really didn't think much of it. One of the kids on on that you know football team that we were playing with, his dad was one of the coaches of the high school, and so he said, "Hey, would you ever be interested in kicking?" And at that time in Kentucky, soccer and football were in the same season, and I was very fortunate to have two different coaches to decide, you know what, we could let this guy work it out somehow. We'll, we'll figure out scheduling. Yeah, give it a shot. My folks okayed that as long as I could keep my grades up, and before I know it. I mean, I just kind of fell in love with it, and I was getting some notoriety really quick. I was always known to have a really strong leg. Uh, sometimes we didn't know if it was going to hit the broadside of a barn, but at least it would get there, right? And so I did that my junior year. I played soccer and played football. I was also a competitive swimmer. So that kind of kicked everything off, pun intended. And then my senior year, I gave up soccer because I was getting so much interest collegiately and at the time I was just trying to get school paid for I, I never thought yeah. that I was going to be able to play at the NFL level went to the University of Louisville wanted to go to UK I was born and raised in Lexington Kentucky but they had signed a guy the year before on scholarship so they didn't have another one so I go to UK played for a legendary coach named Howard Schnellenberger who's since passed but uh, just an incredible man and uh, learned little you know what I, I guess I needed to know as far as developing myself. I went from 151 pounds my freshman year 
to spring ball, finishing up at 186 pounds wow. that freshman year. So, I mean, I put on a decent amount of weight, got stronger. Uh, again, was really known to have kind of a strong leg, a little all over the place. Kind of honed all those skills in in my first training camp with uh, John Casey at the Carolina Panthers. I was an undrafted free agent, had five different teams interested in me. Again, was one of those up and down kind of careers, had some really good games and really some that I should have performed better. But um, bounce around was the Panthers, the Falcons, the Redskins. The Eagles signed me, sent me over to play in NFL Europe. I played for the Berlin Thunder while that league was going on. And then came back and then played 12 years with the Philadelphia Eagles, two years with the San Francisco 49ers, and then finished up in Detroit. So that's, it took me to basically age 40. So that's kind of really, so my first year at 40 years of age, I moved to a different state, tried to start something new. And I, I kind of gave an entire year off of doing anything athletically. I just wanted my body to re recover. And so I felt worse after that first year than I had in all my years. And a doctor said, no matter what you do to really to want to feel well, you're going to have to stay really kind of in that competitive mindset because your body just is so used to this. You're going to hurt worse. And it's like, well, then at least I can stay in shape. And so I picked up golf. Okay. So I was consistently inconsistent. It's probably about as consistent as I am on the water at golf, but at least I feel like I'm accomplishing something when I water ski. Going back to that day with, with Griff, I went out there, I was huffing and puffing. I mean, I was doing everything completely wrong, but I was turning and burning, throwing up a big wall, and that's how you ski, right? Stop before you know the weights and then go to the other side, pull out real hard, slam it around and come back. And you know, that was that was kind of my mindset. But I came out of it, it was like, oh my gosh, my back, my arms, my cardio, everything felt I never felt that way on the golf course, just just so you know. But I kind of gave up golf and just was like, this is what I'm going to do. And unfortunately, and my wife would probably attest to this, some of the things that have helped me over the years in the football world, making it, being cut three different times, playing 15, will actually being credited 16 years of playing games in the NFL and going and having some success there. It's kind of my mindset, man. I, I don't, I want to call it an OCD, but it's, it's a point of, I always want to be better. I, I always want to push myself. How do my, I, I overthink. I try to get everything kind of dialed in. And, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole in skiing to begin with. It's the right. same thing when you're talking about your body, your nutrition, your fitness, uh, how you want to train. What can I do just a slightest bit different than somebody else? There's only 32 of us in the NFL. So how can I train a little bit different than those other 31 to be at that top level so the people that are gunning for me stay at bay and, and I can con continue, you know, to keep that career going. So that same mindset, you don't turn it off. There's no off switch, unfortunately. And so what I'm doing now in, in skiing, and, and I have some friends who are like, David, you've done a pretty good job in a short amount of time. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not skiing like you are. And they're like, well, I've been doing it 20 years. So, you know, I, I want to get to where you are now. I'm running out of time, you know? So that's kind of my mentality. And um, it's not necessarily the greatest aspect. People are like, you're supposed to go out and have fun. I said, do you understand me having fun is me improving on a daily basis? Right. I understand it's going to be this kind of, you know, your up days and down days. And that's the thing, as you well know, is so 
infuriating about skiing. Like you'll go out the next one day and you just smoke it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I figured it out. Here it is. You go out the next day, you're ready to build upon what you did yesterday in training and you can't turn, you know, your opener. I'm like, whoa, 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 what is going on here? I don't know what, what just happened. And for whatever reason, right? And so to me, I love that correlation mentally stimulating the physical aspect of it. But so post football, that, that's definitely, you know, what keeps me, you know, driving on, on a daily basis. Well, man, that's a great analysis right there. And to go back to your point about being into shape, I always tell people, you, you know what you're in shape when you can go out and ski and it, it actually feels good. You're not getting so sore that you can't get out of bed the next morning. It will tell you very quickly. And, and I would say that's a great segue kind of to where we're going to go in this podcast as the physical and technical relationships between uh, being a place kicker and, and slalom. You know, I was thinking about the minor adjustments the other day. I was getting ready for a regional tournament that will be next week in the South Central region. And my binding was starting to dry rot. So then I have to make the decision. I do not want to get on the dock at regionals, slam my foot in the binding and rip the wrap, right? So I said, well, okay, we'll put on a new binding and everything like that. To your point exactly, I'd been skiing fine, but I put a new binding on. And because of the stiffness of the wrap, it just felt different. The balance was different. Went around one ball on my opener, just stood up and rode down the lake. And, you know, <laughs> after about four or five passes, I was able to get used to it again. But even the slightest change, and I would imagine that's the same thing in kicking too. You know, looking at the way you guys approach the ball, step back from the ball, how many steps, what shoe you're wearing, how you set your plant foot, all of those things, I can only imagine. So going through this transition into water skiing from being a professional kicker, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you're, you're 100% correct. I believe anything you do in life is, if you do it well, it looks easy, but there's a lot of technical aspect and practice and, and preparation that is put you into that place to where it makes it look easy, right? And so if you, I don't know if you ever heard Phil Nicholson talk about shots in early morning do grass laying one way, grass laying another. Well, even if we just talk about a football, the way it compresses a brand new, for most of my career, we weren't allowed to touch a football. So you always see kickers kind of pushing it in on kickoffs. Well, what they're trying to do is bust the seams. So the seams will, will, will be popped the ball will have more malleability and it'll compress more and go further. Well, now that we can kind of work the balls in a little bit and you, there's a process to doing that, it makes the leather more uh, compressible, right? So instead of hitting a ball from the 30 back in the day on a nice warm day where the ball would go further than a colder day, right? So then you can start comparing warm water, cold water, right? How the ski feels different. Well, the ball is not going to travel as far in cold weather, then you add wind and cold. I can stand a cold day, cold and windy day really affects the ball. It takes the velocity down really quickly because it just doesn't have the compression that, that you would normally have on a day with like a slight breeze and it being 85 degrees outside. And now you add that compression aspect of being able to work the balls in a little bit. Now you're talking seven to 10 yards further. So if you see later in my career, well, and then this all happened when Tony Romo dropped the snap for the Seattle Seahawks game against the, the, um, the Cowboys and Martin Gramatica wasn't able to hit the shorter field goal to win the game. And the reason for that is the balls right out of the box are extremely waxy. 
And so you add water to it and it just feels like, you know, it's just, it's like a, a water balloon. It's just very slick as it comes through. And they made that change, made all the difference in the world where we could kick the ball so much further. Um, then you start seeing longer field goals be more of, of a common place, especially it's called like 2008, nine, and now forward because guys are able to hit the, not only the next generation better, but it's also opening up opportunities because coaches say, well, we didn't used to be able to kick those kicks. Well, yeah, the balls wouldn't allow us to. You get it knocked down, but now you got a ball to go set. Like, it's like kicking in Denver, you know, in New Orleans all of a sudden, right? So that's, that's a huge, huge difference. So that alone, you know, you're saying one little bit, that changed the game Wow! just in that short amount of time. Then you can start talking about Bermuda grass versus turf. Are some more of a rubber set, you know, in the AstroTurf? Well, it's called a, you know, a field turf, but is there more, is there more rubber versus sand? Or is it more sand versus rubber? How much will your cleats stick? Different bottoms you're going to wear. You're using a, a field like Chicago who has a higher grass, the ball sits lower. How am I going to go in with deeper spikes that I can grab and, and get the ball up on my plant? But obviously I'm wearing a different shoe on my kicking because I really want the foot to be able to slide under the ball without the cleats catching the ground. There's all sorts of different ways we lean the ball depending on the wind. If we're going into the wind, we tilt it a little bit more forward. If as a left-footed guy, my ball will tend to come left to right a little bit. So if the wind's coming left to right and it already tails left to right, I'm going to add a little bit more bite of a lean towards a holder. So your holder is your driver. Your driver has to be, and you have to be able to in sync. And I had a guy named Floyd Detmer who was my holder for eight years. So guys who go to college and they'll play four years. Now think about doubling it. How much more we can be on the same page? I remember playing the Packers in 02, and there's a hard wind coming at my face, directional right to left in my face. And I mem remember missing a, a shorter field goal in the beginning of the game. It's like, man, that was weird because I hit a good ball. It should go up and, and kind of turn in left to right, like I just said. But it went up, and it took the wind, and, and it slid it way left. Hmm. So I came up at halftime. Halftime, I'm missing kicks on purpose to see how much the wind's going to bring it back, how much. So we go in to hit a game-tying kick. It was called the 4th and 26th game. It's in the playoffs. We get down. It's like a 35, 38-yard field goal, something like that. I tell my holder, I was like, hey, Coy, I need forward, and I need it straight up. So we're on the basically right hash. I know I'm going to miss the kick. I'm aiming outside the uprights, knowing that in a normal situation, that ball would hook on me right. It started off, wind caught it, shot it straight back right through the middle of the uprights. And it's, again, learning from that yeah. experience, even just what I did at halftime, but Coy being able to be like my driver and say, hey, man, I'm going to be there to pick you up. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be there to pick you up. You know, you have different drivers that can do different things. And and trusting in that person to be there, you know, for the guys that are good enough to get like 39, 41, like you better have a driver who knows what they're doing. And I, you know, at my level, I got to have the guys in front to snap and hold that I trust everything in them because my job, my career depends on that. So there's so many variables that go in. I feel like there's so many ways we could can make a, a comparison. Well, it's funny because I feel like you ended up right in the right spot becoming a slalom skier because you could talk about bindings, you could talk about flex patterns, you could talk about 
the the fin i mean the endless uh, we were talking to chet rayleigh earlier this year he was calling it the dark web i mean when you start talking about the nuances of the fin i mean the amount of just adjustments i mean we i was even thinking about it the other day it used to be you know uh, 30 years ago we would have you know one strand of rope and that'd be an 80 strand rope well now there's different strands of rope even for the junior division so it's sure. a different weight of rope for them um, so there's so many changes that have pushed the envelope even further. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about wind specifically. Okay, so in that example, you're kind of missing kicks in maybe the pregame or halftime warmups, I should say, uh, to figure out where the ball is going to land. And I've made this illustration a couple of times on this podcast. You know, when you become a water skier, any open body of water that you take a look at, you're like, I wonder if we could put a slalom course on that or, you know, you see the wind kicked up and you're like, you can almost feel in your mind how much muscle or, or, or what the intensity would be for that headwind or the lack thereof of how you would angle the ski, maybe in a tailwind. And you can just judge it by looking at the wind. Are you looking um, at, at, I guess, when you're setting up for a field goal, I have noticed the little flags on top of the goalpost. Um, and I'm sure there's other flags within the stadium, but I've also noticed some skiers when they're pulling out for a gate, if they're at a site that has a flag on a dock, for example, they may glance over to the flag before they pull in just to see, you know, how hard am I going to pull? I would assume that's kind of the same thing with your kicking leg. You, you start to get a feel of what you're going against and what you're about ready to go through. Do you feel that same way in skiing? Yeah, absolutely. And one, one aspect of kicking you, you got to learn the stadium because you can see a flag move. And, and, and honestly, the flags on different stadiums are different weights. Like some are like really wispy and they move around. So it really may not even be a big win. And you got other ones where the flags are barely moving, but the poles are moving just as much as the flags are, right? So then it's really uh, a heavy situation as far as wind goes. Back at Veteran Stadium, I used to be able to look up and there was an American flag. And whatever the American flag was on the top of the stadium, it was the opposite on the lower field. So you had two different air currents. And so you would be able to, I could drive the ball with the wind and going into the wind it, at the lower level. I knew sometimes I could get the ball up and over and then the wind would carry it. And there were different nuances in different, in different buildings. I spent a majority of my career at Lincoln Financial Field in Philly. And uh, the, the stadium was more open at that time. So if we had a south wind, we knew where the, it was going to come through this one corridor, uh, especially in the wintertime, it made it brutal, kind of the same example I was telling you about with the Packers. And then it would kind of hit against the other stadium side, the visitor side, and then shoot out a double opening on the north end zone. So you knew kind of wind currents and where it would go. When you're talking about skiing, and I don't know if I'm just an idiot or, or, or or just wanting punishment. I picked two sports that were really affected by the weather, the wind, uh, and, and all that. So I, I, maybe I just didn't get enough of it, you know, playing football. But the same aspect is true in trying to learn, you know, when, when I first started skiing, I actually preferred a headwind because I could be as strong as I want, hold it all the way to the buoy, whatever. And I feel like now getting a little bit better that sometimes I actually prefer the speed of a tailwind and just feeling like I don't have to do as much and just let her sure. ski work more. I, I don't know if, if it's any different, but yes, definitely I can feel where that wind's coming from. And I'm one of the guys, I guess, is kind of ridiculous. I'm like, hey, wind just shifted on us. We went from a tail to a head. 
or we're going to cross. Okay, now that cross is going to, it's coming left to right. So it's going to blow me in on my gate. So I'm going to be fast into one. So what do I need to do with that? And, you know, make sure I kind of transition a little bit earlier and, and not go as long because I know it's going to give me the speed out there. But going to two, I might have to hammer it a little bit more. See, that's the that's the problem. People are like, hey, because you're just thinking too much. I'm like, hey, hi, I'm David. Nice to meet you. That's what I do. And it, even you're talking about my buddy Chet. I mean, Chet's been a phenomenal friend and, and helped me in, in this career, uh, I guess, post-career in, in sports of trying to understand the psyche. You know, obviously, Chet's, Chet is a uh, psychologist as far as trade, as far as what he went to school for. But I, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole a little bit on setup, not to mean that it's not the idiot on top of the ski, but I believe that there has to be a fine balance in no matter what you do, if it's in golf or if you're kicking, you're talking about the proper footwear, the situation that if you don't put yourself in a situation that you can succeed, just slap any ski. Well, that's like giving a golfer any golf club and say, go ahead. You know, you got a guy that has a, 70 mile an hour swing speed and you give him a, a club that's rated for a guy with about a 120 well he's not going to have success with that right same so, sort of situation with skiing you you can have the guys well oh i just need to do this better yes you do but why is the tip of the ski digging in at one then you're kind of getting tossed forward and you feel like you're all out of whack oh i just was too far forward yeah but the ski did that one then you come around and then you do it at a different time well that, that adds a whole different, you know, dynamic to it, if, if you will. So it seems like there are a lot of engineers, there are a lot of pilots, and I, I guess now kickers are getting involved. In, in, in the kick, kickers are getting involved, and we're going to get back to that later on. But let's, let's go back to Denver on the environmental, because the environmental factors of kicking in, De in Denver, I'm looking at it right now, Jason Elam, Sebastian Janikowski, and Matt Prater have all kicked 63 yep. or 64 yards at mile high um, or at the at sports Florida field or at mile high. Mm -hmm. Now, what's so interesting about this, and I found this absolutely fascinating, in track and field, the IAAF, which is the world governing body of track and field, makes a little asterisk almost when it comes to records. So, Anything above a thousand meters or three thousand nine hundred and thirty-seven feet above sea level is quote an altitude-assisted record, and anything below is is not an altitude-assisted record. You, along with Tom Dempsey, all the way back to nineteen seventy, hold that record at sixty-three yards. And how that relates to, to skiing and why this is such an important thing for me. I grew up skiing in Denver. That's actually where I started skiing. Okay. And back in the day, what was interesting, it wasn't an environmental factor as far as your performance. Yes, the water was cooler. It could have been faster and a lot of those types of things, but it was the boat power. So you would be at a lake and in that altitude, it was really hard to get a boat up to 36 miles an hour mm -hmm. if you were skiing at 36 miles an hour. But as it relates to something like long distance jumping, assuming now, you know, 20, 30 years later, we could get the same amount of horsepower we did, we do at a, a lake in Orlando, for example, right. um, you would think that mile high might be a really good place to set a jump record. Oh, absolutely. Again, if you talk to any kicker, 
where do you want to play? Like, I, I only got to play in Denver twice. Um, I did play in Wyoming as, as, a, as a collegiate player. And I, I stopped at 68 yards in warmups because I was getting too far into the other, into the, to the opponent's, you know, uh, side of warmups. So <laughs> every one of my kickoff, after a surgery, every one of my kickoffs in Denver, and it was a preseason game, was through the end zone. Wow. It wasn't in the end zone. It was out the back. I hit a, a security guard looking, you know, at the stadium. I mean, <laughs> the amount of, of distance that you get. So I told you about the ball. So then you, that, that kind of evened everything else as if you were playing in Denver. Now you do that on a hot day. It was like 90 degrees out in the summer and then have the altitude. So it, it's the same, same thing. Um, you know, since then, you know, that it's funny, Prater hit that kick the next year. And there have been some other guys since then that have hit that kick, Maher, Gano, and, um, I might be thinking missing somebody else, but then, then you have Justin Tucker, who currently is the best kicker of all time, in my opinion. And, and JT hit a 66 yarder to win the game. And so it has since been broken, but you know, you go back to different aspects mentally of when you train like okay this is the record and, and you put yourself in that mindset of saying okay this is what I need to do right now let's let's just try it and maybe it's like in, in your mind like doing a tournament set right and so you put yourself there and it's a snap to hold the kick and then and you do it and then it took me to the age of almost 38 before I even had my first attempt mm. and so when it came up, I'm like, okay, I've done this before. I put myself in this position mentally. Obviously, I'm right here. It's right before halftime in Lambeau Field. What are you going to do? And the first thing I just told myself is don't overswing. So if you ever played golf, like a lot of times you get up the tee box and you, you want to grip it and rip it and, and you drive yeah. through it, it's a little bit of a full draw. Well, by the time that ball carries 63 yards and you're talking about 18-foot-wide uprights, it really doesn't take much to be off geometrically to be extremely off by the time he gets to the uh the goalpost so I was like just smooth it you got it and I hit it and I was like you idiot like instantly I was like you idiot you did not hit this hard enough you know it's like I, hi I'm David I overthink so uh I I didn't think I hit it hard enough but it just kept traveling and it hits the crossbar and bounces in so I like to tell people like we're playing pig or horse or whatever. I called my shot off the crossbar and in just to <laughs> a little bit more of a dramatic feel. Well, right? was that the old the old uh, McDonald's ad with Larry Bird and Michael Jordan? You know, exactly. that off the crossbar. Yeah, no, it's it's impressive. And anybody watching the YouTube or listening on the podcast, make sure to type in 63-yard field goal, Lambeau Field, David Akers on YouTube, and it will pop up. And I think Aikman's got the commentary on that, and it was awesome. It, it was just an awesome kick. Here, here's here's the cool thing because I want to segue into these pressure type of situations with this okay. performance. So we've got all these environmental factors, whether it comes down to, to a kicking shoe or a water ski, to the wind, to the altitude. What matters at the end of the day, especially for a kicker and for a coach, is to put you in there and believe that you can you can get the job done. And in 2000, this is incredible. You had an 
an average of making 87.9% of the kicks that season. I mean, that's unbelievable. And so I was wondering from a kicker's perspective, you know, we talked about a little bit about you were being 38 years old. You finally had the chance to kick the 63 yarder. A lot of that's contingent on the coach believing that you can go out in a particular situation and instead of punting it away and going into halftime, hey, we're going to send David out there. We think he's got a chance. Yeah. Um, what is it like in those particular situations where you have the belief in yourself and in a team situation, the coach also has to have that belief. But how does that transition into your slalom performances? Do you look at consistency the same way and the belief, for example, you may show up to a, to a lake on a windy day and it's a tournament and you're like, you know, I could start at this pass, but, you know, I think I'm okay if I go headwind this way. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, you, you got a lot to go in there. We'll probably keep, I'll probably hold you up too long in this one, but you're, you're correct. Um, the, the, you have to have belief in yourself, obviously. And, and one thing that I was able to do play long enough in the NFL where that belief then kind of transfers into the coaches because you, you've developed a resume, right? If you look like a Nate Smith or a Regina or whatever, you know that Regina's going to run 39 and darn near Nate's almost going to run 41 every time they get into a tournament. Really close, right? It's, it's right there because they've run it so much compared to everybody else in their categories. So if you look at my generation of, of kickers, like I was there at the top with those guys and it's the next generation's always a little bit better, bigger, faster, stronger. They start earlier. You got more understanding of how to coach. Uh, the the I guess the amenities to those guys coming up are, are, are better than the generation before. In my generation of guys, we were better than the ones before. And then you go all the way down to like, you know, back to the day of the George Blanda and, and those groups. It's significantly different. So I just say that in, in this realm of if you look at the older skiers, compared to kind of the, the way that the professionals are now that, you know, you, you see 38, 39 and mid 41 every time in a men's, that wasn't the case back, you know, 20 years ago. Right. And I feel like that in sports is pretty much indicative of how they kind of go. Records are made to be broken. That being said, during that time, how do you get somebody to say, hey, I want you to go do it? Well, you prove them in practice. You prove it in the game. You prove it over time. And being consistent, and, and in my situation, being consistently accurate is how people start to believe in you. Well, you kind of have to you, – you don't have your team. You don't have the coach on the water. But I think being consistent is, is a huge aspect to scheme. What are you doing in practice? And what? And this is one thing I did football-wise. I charted every kick in practice. After every, like I had books of every kick. Where the wind's coming from? Where did the ball go between the upright? Where was my kind of aiming point? What was my get-off time from snap to hold the kick? And what were the yardage from? What hash? All that's in the book. Well, if I go out now and I think, okay, now I wouldn't get. There's there's no money being made for me, so I don't go to this extreme because I really had to be analytical 
before really analytics was out there and ways to do it within the football realm, you know, I did my own self-analysis, right? And so if I look at it kicking-wise now to, to the skiing, if I'm not three at 35 at every single first three passes, then something's wrong with what I'm doing. Like that needs to be, I because I'm a guy that runs 35 occasionally. I was running it better last year. Then I got shingles and something happened after that. Like I was off my game. I've started to run it a little bit more as of late. I ran it one time in a, in a tournament, but I was basically the three of 35, you know, some occasionally three and a half, turn four and in tournaments. But if I look at my practice, I can say I'm pretty much that three of 35 guy and then occasionally run 35. All right. Well, now that I'm getting that a little bit better on the seeing into 38 a little bit more, is there something now that I need to see? Yes, I need to see that same percentage go over into the tournaments so that I can see that there's going to be that that even flow. That what that means is if, if you hear about guys getting the the ice in the kicker, well, I don't really believe in that because it's your mindset of how you enter the kicking space. So if I go out to the field, I walk back and I walk over, I'm expecting that ball to come back and me to hit, hit a kick. If they call timeout prior to that, I then turn around, I look at the other uprights, the other uprights look a mile away. I hit some kicks on air, right? And as I look and visualize that ball going to a, a goalpost that's so far away, when the whistle is blown by the ref to turn back around, I then approach as if I just came off the sideline, and all of a sudden, those uprights look way closer. But wow. every time that I entered the field, a lot of time guys would, would enter really close to the line of scrimmage. I never did that. I was always at the far end. Why? Because every step I was getting closer to those uprights in the visuals. The visual aspect of it was like, wow, I'm, I'm getting, this is a closer kick each and every step. So whether that's a right way, a wrong way, it was my way and it worked for me. And so the same kind of aspect I look at with my scheme, this is, you know, if it's a state or it's a regional or whatever, this is my normal setup, what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to the driver. Hey, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to run my pass. And if I get through, I, I'm, I, I'm weird. I start at 28, 32, 28, 34, go to 32. So if I get my fourth pass, that's my toughest pass. It's generally where you want to be. And uh, I'm sorry, because most I'm not that great of a skier, but that's just how I have to go, right? It's generally everybody's, uh, uh, my toughest pass is like everybody's, you know, warm up in the pro level. But <laughs> as I go in there, I have the same mentality as I'm walking on the field, you know, to kick a field goal. That's really interesting. You know, I was thinking about that when you were talking. Sometimes as a slalom skier too, and in referencing back to Chet, I was asking him some questions about, you know, theories on running back to backs and shortening the line and those types of things. Um, and and this has been a summer in which I uh, haven't got on the water as much. Um, but you know, you? as I'm gearing up for for uh, regionals, I started shortening up the line more and more and more. And I just haven't taken a look at 39 a lot. And I made the mistake doing exactly what I could relate to of, of you looking at the the far uprights as I look down the rope to the pylon at 39. I go, oh, hey, that is short. <laughs> you know, just because I haven't looked at it in a long time. 
And it I wonder short. just th those little things, it is short, but you don't want to make it any shorter than it is, right? And so I, you, you look down that line and you're thinking, wow, now I'm thinking about it at the gate. Where do I hit it behind the boat? You know, am I going to have enough momentum to get outside the buoy? And all of those negative thoughts start to enter your mind and you really have to simplify it. And, and, and almost that visualization process of that swing outside the buoy and come back in. And instead of that mindset of going, man, this is really short, I need to do a bunch of things different because usually when that happens, it, it doesn't work out very well. So sure. I, I very much appreciate that. And now I can watch TV and, and understand why they're kicking imaginary field goals into the far side of the field goal post. That was my, I guess, uh... I, I don't even know where that came from. I just started looking at it. Man, it looks far away. And then just turned back around and kind of to keep, I guess, away from all the naysayers. And, you know, there, there, there's some shenanigans that happen, you know, at the line of scrimmage. So I try to eliminate, look the other way, turn back around as if we were just entering the field. But there's another thing I, I did too. You see a lot of these kickers run on the field and I never want to do it. As soon as you start running, your legs are going to fill with blood, right? So I always wanted to keep, everything as loose as possible mm. to get out there and not try to and keep the whole body calm. Uh, I don't want to have this sort of a peak and valley emotional, this, that. Yeah. Okay. We make the kick. It's, it, it's a celebration with the team, but ultimately the, the idea is to stay, stay even keel. And then hopefully at the end of the game, you can look back and like, well, I did my job. I made this, 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 and then, you go on to the next day and you practice and as you prepare, you kind of look the same way. And, and it, it's the, the adage of you're only as good as your next kick, whether you've made the one before or you missed the one before, what's the next one going to do? And so you make it, you got to put it behind you. If you miss it, you have to put it behind you. And, and that's kind of the, the, the mindset you have to go. And, you know, I, I may be, a, it's kind of changing a little bit of the subject, but I may be a little different here, but, I would love to see a little bit of a change. I think it would help viewership in scheme. You know, the one thing that can happen with the kicker, you may warm up and hit a ball, you know, before for the game, and you might not hit a ball for an hour and a half. And it might be a 50-yarder to go in right before halftime, right? And that's your first attempt. The first attempt wasn't a 20-yard extra point. So – if we wanted to really make skiing something that, again, I'm an outsider. I'm from a different sport. I haven't done this 30 years. I, I'm just giving you a, a two-cent perspective that means nothing. But if we could start, like, at the pro level, the women start at 32 the first round. The second round, they start at 35. Men start at 35, second round, 38. You're going to have – to really show who can mentally be there and, and adjust their scheme accordingly. That's just my two cents. I think you could package that and, and get that more onto a mainstream uh, media. And I mean, look, we're seeing cornhole and spike ball on ESPN. Why in the right. world is skiing not on there with the athleticism and all that that it takes? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I've even thought about it as almost a random selection out of a hat, right? So you could have 32, 35, and 38 in there and whatever they draw that round, because you'd be mentally going in where that draw 
is you just have no idea, just like you don't have any idea as a place kicker, whether that's going to be a 32 yarder or 52 yarder. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentally just have to be prepared within the moment to, to, to go out there. This is going to be kind of a, yeah, go ahead. And you, and you don't get any, and people are like, well, it's your warm up. I was like, but I don't get that on the sideline. Like I can swing my leg, right? but I'm not out on the field. I'm not feeling what's happening out there. I don't get the snap, the hold, the line, the rush. You're like, Ooh, I needed that again because that left edge guy, man, he, you know, Patrick Peterson, and he dips and rips around that corner. I got to speed up my time a little bit more because he comes so hard and I just need to get my first one under my belt. You, you don't have that opportunity. So I, I, again, I think the sport is phenomenal. I love it. I love so much about it. And I feel like there's a way that you can, because it is so tough, we can make it where it's even more enjoyable for the fans watching it. Sure. Sure. This would be a fun question for you because I was, I was going back through some old stuff because I was trying to remember where, where this took place. But I think it was when you had your, your breakout season, early 2000 with the Eagles. I remember the fastest three minutes in football. That's how I used to get all my information about football with Chris Berman. Yeah. And it, it was awesome because for like a decade, it was Chris Berman saying, David Akers is the place to be. And you hit the game winner. And so, like, you were always one of my favorite kickers growing up because I would just always watch the fastest three minutes of football. It seemed like every week it was that. But right around that time, fantasy football explodes, mm-hmm. right? And so what was it like when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, David, you had a great year. I'm looking at it, 88%. You're definitely going to be drafted on my fantasy team. I was just wondering what those conversations were like. Yeah, you know, the first time I ever heard about fantasy football was walking out of the depths of the veteran stadium, and a guy came up to me. He goes, I mean, I'm telling you, it's a dark corridor. He's like, hey, can you sign this? Like, yeah, sure. He's like, you're my fantasy kicker. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it's great, you know, when people would say, hey, you're my fantasy. Okay, that's great. Well, I came off an NFL season where I was able to set a record for amount of field goals in a year. And I was ranked the number one guy going in that year, I guess, as fantasy. And that next year I come off surgery and I was not performing to the, to the, my best ability, I guess, if you will. And uh, it was kind of the beginning of the end of my career. And I started getting death threats on Twitter. I had a, a wow. good amount of, of folks that were on Twitter, even to the point when we went to the Super Bowl. And I didn't even know this at the time, but there was undercover police that would follow myself and my family out uh, when we would walk the streets. And, um, you know, I found that out as the week went on that that was taking place. But, you know, there, there's the good things and the bad things to anything in sports, right? And you, you got people that are called fanatics for a reason, right? That's what a fan is. and. That, that's, a, that's a tough thing to, to swallow at times. I deleted my account off of Twitter at that point. And it's funny, I guess somebody else took it over that um, had some kind of unsightly things that he liked to post on there. And people were like, is that you? I'm like, no, I deleted my account. And I've since gotten back on there, working with some different corporations that wanted me to have a social media presence. But uh, the original one that I deleted is was no longer there. But uh, Anyway, that's just kind of the the things you take with sports and you know where, you know what you're signing up for, right? 
So I just tell people, man, you're struggling with your fantasy. I'm struggling with my reality. So I, <laughs> I, I love I love fantasy football for what it brings to the sport and all that. But just know that the players are trying their best to uh, to keep their own reality job. Uh, and, and and with that, what what comes when they're not performing as well? So. Well, speaking of social media and all those things, I mean, it, we get information so quick now. Have you reached out to anybody that's you know, maybe a retired kicker, NFL player and say, Hey, I figured out this sport over here. You want to come water ski? Well, there's a guy named Jay Feely who kicked several years in the NFL and Jay is a uh, CBS uh, announcer in the NFL. And uh, I know that Nate Bordeaux has kind of put the two of us together at times because Nate uh, saw that Jay, I guess, does a little bit of uh, water sports and does some skiing. Uh, I've tried to get him to try to come out to the, to the course and instead of just kind of doing some free skiing, but it, it is kind of interesting. I, I took my son down and we, we ski at a place called Swerve Water Sports in middle Tennessee. Michael Bullock owns the place. And we took out some, some high school football players and they were struggling. Not, they got up and did that, but obviously 23 miles an hour, just trying to make some turns and make some buoys. And, and, and my youngest is, is starting to kind of do a little bit of tournament skiing between football and jiu-jitsu. You can't really dedicate too much time, but he's working up the ranks. He should be skiing 36, but he at state this year got two at 34 miles an hour, 32 off. So very good, very respectable yeah. and beat some of us men for uh, guys. But uh, that being said, uh, there was a guy named Ryan Fowler who played in the NFL several years. And, and Ryan and I, uh, did some coaching. We do some high school coaching together and I got him out there. And matter of fact, it was at Pico's uh, ski school when we were down on spring break. Cause I, I ski a lot down there. And he was like, Oh my gosh, this, this is something different. He was just getting, cause he's, he's six, three, like two thirty five, two forty, 240. Yeah. looks like a Greek God still at 40 years of age. <laughs> but Brenda Cavanaugh, I believe was her last name. She's, I think she's 72, 74, yeah. started jumping when she was 60. Right, right. She goes out and skis after Ryan does, and he's like, oh, my gosh. I had no idea how good you are, you know, just watching her running. I think she was messing around 22 off or something like that, and he, he can't he hardly get up, right? So there's such – if you're a true competitor with yourself, there's something about skiing because you're competing against yourself each and every time you do a deep water start to get up, run an opener, and then start to run down to be consistent like we're talking about, right? Like my, my goal is always any tournament, and I don't get to do a lot of tournaments because by the time summer gets going, I, I coach a lot of high school football. Uh, my, my oldest plays collegiate football, so trying to travel and see all these guys. I do it when I can, and I'm hoping to do it a little bit more once my, all my kids are into college. But um, if I can do four or five in a year, that'd be great. But that, that whole idea of what I'm doing in practice, being consistent, and then hopefully that consistency goes up and we're no longer, you know, 75%. We're, we're, we're getting into that 90% range as far as field goal kicking goes. But at the same time, I'm starting to look to where I feel like is a respectable number. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Like, there, there's a number of if you can make it to the NFL, what percentage makes it there? What percentage can break par before, right? And shoot under 80 and then those who shot under par. 
Okay, uh, I've been able to do that. How many is it that can ski? Is it 35 off, 38 off? Where is it that 1% right. is? I don't know where that is on a ski, on a slalom skiing yet, but that's kind of like that mental aspect of just kind of pushing myself all the time. And uh, I love it. I love pushing myself and uh, I love the ski community. I, I can totally say that. Um, I, I've been fortunate here in, in the middle Tennessee area. There, there's some great people. Kirby Wetzel. There's a guy named Paul Turner that's kind of taken me under his wing. Uh, you know, people like Nate Smith, Regina, Marcus Brown. And then it starts to kind of go out. There's guys in, in, in men's three, the, uh, I think Pete Shoemaker. I don't know if these guys even, you know, but you just kind of start reaching out to Matt Reeves of the world, the Chets, the Noah Beaks. Like I, the list can go on and on. I, I can send a video. Hey, what do you see about this? And then I was riding some goods back when, when Dave was live. One thing happened. I had, I had an issue with the ski and great people. They are good, but I, I needed to ski. And, Nate goes, hey, let me just call Will Bush. Let me send you some. So I started skiing on some D3s because, again, friendships developed, right? And, and that's what I think is so great about slalom skiing. You know, hey, I need a ride. I need this. I got a boat. I'm willing to pull you. You're willing to use, you know, my equipment. Here you go. Um, I just want to grow the sport, right? Yeah. And with that means you kind of have to be willing to be selfless and say, come on, the more the merrier type of deal and and let's go. Because I feel like, there are some niche group of people that they want to take their ball and go home. And, and they, they feel that um, it's, it's for them only. And I was like, man, how do you get, how do you get the next generation into it? Unless you're saying, bring them all, let's have some fun. And let me show you what you can do. Hey, watch this guy. Oh my gosh, this guy is phenomenal. And then you see somebody that's just learning and say, Oh, well, I've been doing it for a couple months. I've been doing it a couple of years. You can see the progression because it takes a while to get there. And it is not a, you, I've, I've checked into this. I haven't found a pro shop that sells talent yet. I'm looking, <laughs> but I haven't found that yet. So if you well, have one, uh, let me know. Those are wonderful comments about the sport and, you know, kind of a vision for the future. And I was going to add, there's very few things in life that add the adrenaline that football and skiing does i think in in a different way but a similar way you find that on a field or you find that on a lake i had the opportunity to play at a small college and 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 then also ski and so i was kind of balancing the football and and skiing life for a long long time and i would just i i, I don't know if i was just stuck in the adrenaline rush or the the competition against myself but I feel much of the same way that you do is like, you know, I'm approaching 40. And as I approach 40, I'm like looking at the guys that are before me that are 50, 60, 70, 80. I mean, we have Elgin Faulkner, who's in our region, who's 95, who did a 360 on a wakeboard. That's and I'm so thinking awesome. like, this is the best place to be. Think about that quality of life that you can live for such a long period of time and do it at such a high level and be in a community of people. The way you said it, I love the way you summed that up. And um, maybe you could sum it up just more uh, uh, briefly if I asked you the question, I water ski because. You're asking David Akers to do something briefly. That, that's, that's a bad question. <laughs> I feel like water skiing is challenging both mentally and physically 
And I feel like at the age that I'm in right now, I can continue to do this for several years. And because of the feeling of propulsion and drive internally to get better on a daily basis is why I ski. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Well, David, this has been an incredible interview. And just like all of my interviews, I know that people are going to have questions. Uh, they may want to reach out. I know you got a lot of things going on off of the water. Uh, what are you up to and where can people find you? Well, I am on social media, but man, I, I do quite a bit. Just a, I used to do a lot of corporate speaking and then COVID happened. So I would do about 30 events a year. I had uh, in 2018 and 19, I had an iHeartRadio show that I did for pregame shows for the Eagles. And that was really kind of my deal. And I did some rental properties. But since COVID, I haven't really been able to do as much speaking. Uh, it's come back a little bit. Still have some rental properties. I manage a lot of that myself. But honestly, man, it's it's high school football coach. I do that all in the fall. Uh, to try to do that as kind of a stewardship aspect of giving back to the next generation. So I volunteer at Ravenwood High School in Brentwood, Tennessee. Love the kids. Have some great young kickers that are that are learn learning. Uh, to really be able to, to put themselves in an opportunity to play at the next level, which is really cool. And then, uh, again, uh, I, I ski quite often here when I can. I, and I, I would be remiss, honestly. And my, my ski partner, his name's Gary Hutchinson. Uh, we compete against each other tournaments. Uh, we travel back and forth. We, we watch each other. Um, daggone it, the guy's on an Android phone, so we can't send videos back and forth. But... <laughs> But that is is my life right now. Uh, just you know, retired from the football, living here in, in Central Tennessee, and going to be hopefully living down in um, right right in Pico's neighborhood. Uh, in okay. About yeah, I got, okay. I got a piece of property right there. Awesome. Well, David, this has been an amazing interview, and we're so happy that you're in the water skiing family. That you're skiing a lot, and you're a tremendous ambassador for the sport, and just as a person in general. So. This is, I know our audience is going to love it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Love the sport, love the people that surround us. So thank you guys. Well, with that, we're going to be signing off. See you next time. Thanks again for listening and come back for future episodes of the Hit It Podcast as we catch up with current stars and legends of the sport. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida. And don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate this podcast. We'll see you next time.